You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, so what now? That's a question I've been asking for the past couple weeks. Maybe you have been too. It's natural to ask questions like this when a time of change or transition or unexpected news comes. What are we going to do now? How are we going to get through this? Where do we need to go? Maybe you've asked those questions um, when changes come in your life, when an unexpected crisis came or some natural disaster happened and you need to explain it to the kids or you got some news from the doctor you weren't anticipating. Today we're looking into Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 to 11, and I would invite you to open your Bible there with me, Isaiah 40, verse 1 to 11. Isaiah 40 is good news, but it follows devastating news. The prophet Isaiah had just communicated to the king of Judah that in just one generation, a foreign superpower with militaristic strength would invade their country, destroy their capital city, and take their entire nation captives to another land. And this was a consequence that Israel actually deserved for their faithlessness. But they were probably asking questions like we might be too. What now? How are we going to get through this? Where do we go from here? The good news, though, is that though God was justly punishing his people, he would not be forsaking his people. They were his treasured possession. His presence had left them because they were faithless, but God promised that his presence would return to them. So there might be a lot of natural questions that we're asking right now, but the most important question that we need to ask now is this. Is God truly amongst us? Harvest Yesterday, today, and forever. This is what matters most. Our comfort is the promise of God with us. Our comfort at all times is the promise of God with us. And Isaiah 40 verse 1 to 11 is going to show us three attitudes that we must cultivate if we as a church and as individuals are going to enjoy the comfort of that promise. So as we do in honor of the reading of God's word, would you stand with me now? And I'll read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 to 11. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, and the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, 
what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Let's pray together now. Father, we are needy people. We are sheep. I am a helpless sheep that needs his good shepherd. And thank you that Christ is, his shepherd, is our, my shepherd. He is our shepherd and we need our shepherd with us. We need our shepherd guiding us. We need your presence, Lord. We need the comfort of your presence. We need the assurance of your presence. We need the experience of your presence, Lord. And thank you that you have promised us your presence. Let us be a people, Lord, who posture ourselves in the right way, that you are welcomed among us and that you are not distant from us, that we would not reject you, but in that we would depend on you. Oh Lord God, comfort us by your word that we would be the people for your own possession whom you dwell with. In Jesus' name, amen. Harvest, our comfort is the promise of God with us. Three attitudes we need to be able to cultivate, to enjoy the comfort of this promise. But first, I want to ask an important question. What is the promise of God with us. Well, we see in verse 5 that it says it's the glory of the Lord that's going to be revealed. The promise of God with us is the glory of God manifest amongst his people. What is God's glory? God's glory is the sign of his presence and his power with us. Why does that matter? Because God's glory with us is the key distinction that shows why the church is the church and we're not the world. It's the key mark of, that, of the people of God and it's the sign of his favor amongst us. And now, the word of God says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, that we, we are the temple of God. That we are being built up to be a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God wants to build us up to be the house, to be the place where he dwells. Do you know where God dwelt in the Old Testament? Well, we first see God dwelling with his people in the Garden of Eden. God walked with Adam and Eve, but they were faithless and God cast them out from his presence. Then later on, after Israel became a nation and they were uh, delivered from Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. But God told Moses to have his people uh, create a tent, this makeshift tabernacle, they called it. And as they traveled through the wilderness, the glory of God dwelt with them in the tabernacle. 
And then when they came to the promised land, the tabernacle was in a city called Shiloh. And priests were supposed to lead the people in the law of God so that God would dwell with them and they would enjoy his presence. But the priests were faithless. The people were faithless. In the time of judges, the glory of God left Shiloh and it was destroyed. Then later on, King David, who was a man of God, who desired above all things to be with his, God's presence, he wanted to build a, a permanent structure, not just a tent, but a, a building. And God said, no, no, not you, David, your son Solomon will build it. And Solomon did, and when the building was made, God dwelt amongst the temple, but each king that followed David and Solomon was faithless and faithless and faithless and faithless, which leads us to Isaiah 39, where finally the king of Judah, King Hezekiah, hears from the prophet Isaiah that God was leaving them again because they were faithless. So why then, if there's such devastating news in chapter 39, how do they deserve to have any glimmer of hope or comfort in chapter 40. Look at verse 40, chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Why did they deserve this? Why, how could they access the promise of God? Because the promise is a product of God's grace. They did not deserve it. God says, comfort my people, says your God. They weren't acting like God's people, but God still lovingly chose to associate with them. Imagine a teenage son who's acting in such a way that's really disgracing the family name, so much so that the father's co-workers know it and actually look down on him for it. What would a loving father do? An angry father might say, you're no longer my son. But a loving father would look at his child and say, I, no matter what, you are still my child. And God looked at these people and said, you're not acting like my people and I am going to punish you for it, but you are still my people and I am still your God. What grace. Not only is there a grace in God's continued association with him, but there's a grace in the hope that was at hand Look at the verse two with me. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God saying that their warfare was ended meant that a time of peace was at hand. God saying that their iniquity was pardoned meant that their forgiveness was at hand. God saying that they've received double for all their sins meant that the freedom from the debt that they couldn't repay was at hand. They didn't deserve to be forgiven of the debt. They didn't deserve to be relieved from their guilt. They deserved to be in conflict. And so do we. Christian, do you know why you were saved? Do you know why the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ dwells in you? Not because you were a clean and worthy temple that God wanted to come to you. No, 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 but because God set his heart on you. 
in his sovereign will looked upon you and said, for my own glory, I've chosen this one. And you, Christian, were running away from God. But he brought you back. And we still run away from God. But James chapter 4 says that he is jealous for the spirit that he has put in you. God is jealous for you like a, like a husband is jealous for the wife, love of his wife. God is jealous for you, Christian, like a father is jealous for the love of his child. Be comforted. God wants to be with you. God wants to be with our church. God wants to dwell with us. God has chosen us to be his house, his dwelling place, brick by brick, built up to be a dwelling place for God, a holy temple. Maybe you're here and you, you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. You're just curious about Christianity. Well, no friend that while you may think that your life is lived like balancing scales, that's not the way that God looks at your life. You may think that, yes, I know I have this unethical, immoral, bad things that weigh down the scale, but maybe I can level it out with some good things and living philanthropically, and maybe then one day when, when I get to see whatever God is in control, maybe he'll just like, at that time, just let me in. Don't be fooled, Christian. That's not who God is. God is not like us. God is holy. He is morally perfect. And to enter into this union, this relationship, God created you in his image to know him and to be known by him, to love him and to be loved by him. But, but a holy God who's morally perfect, who is a light, cannot dwell with darkness. And be sure, each soul of every human is stained with darkness, stained with the darkness of sin. None of our good deeds could even out our righteous rags. But, but non-believer, Jesus, the Son of God, suffered for your sins so that you could be saved from your sins and that you could step into the light without fear because you know you're forgiven by faith in Jesus and then, then you can know what it truly means to be human. A true humanity is living in the presence and the light of God. God created us to enjoy the comfort of his presence. Do you want it? We didn't earn it. The promise is a product of God's grace. If you see that friend, if you see that friend, then, then how can we enjoy it? We, we need to cultivate three attitudes that Isaiah 40 tells us. Three attitudes to enjoy the comfort of the promise of God with us. Here's the first one. If you want to enjoy the comfort of the promise of God with us, then we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. Look at verse three with me. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. See, this is a vision that the prophet Isaiah sees. And in his vision, he sees God on a throne and his angelic council around him. And God on the throne says to these angelic beings, go speak comforting words to my people. And then the first angelic voice cries. And it cries to God's people a word of preparation. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight a highway in the desert, a highway for our God. God had left his people. 
But the angel was telling them, make a highway so that when God is ready to come back, it's a clear path for him. But in order to do that, they needed to be prepared. Do you see these geographical, topical language here? It says, the wilderness, the desert, the valley, the mountain, uneven ground, rough places. These are all symbolic for the obstacles, moral and spiritual obstacles that keep God from being able to dwell with us. It's the sin in our life that separates us from fellowship with him. Christian, if God would look at the pathway to your heart right now, what would he see? Would it be like the 407 on a sunny June day at 6 a.m. and there ain't a car on the road and no cop to stop me going at 1.30? Or would it be like the 401 in the middle of February in rush hour after a snow squall? Would, would the pathway to come home to be with you be like a quaint country home with a beautiful red door and the light on and a welcome mat laid out? Or would the entryway into your heart be like a prison cell with maximum security? We have to go through layer after layer after layer of armed guard before he could see you. most important question we need to ask is, is God truly with us? I need to ask this question. In the time that I spend reading God's word, it's every Wednesday. Every Wednesday, every day I look at my heart, but every Wednesday I spend the time in God's word specifically saying, God, what sin is in my life? Every day God exposes sin, but I need to ask this question all the time and ask it of you. What obstacle is keeping God's presence from coming to your heart? And in this question, are you an obstacle that is keeping God's presence from coming to our church? Am I? What does it mean to be prepared? How can I remove these obstacles? Well, actually, the New Testament gives us a clue. Because you see, Isaiah 40, verse 3, was referenced in each of the four Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all refer to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And it's referring to the ministry of John the Baptist. Jesus was about to start his ministry preaching about the kingdom of God, God's presence with us. But John the Baptist came beforehand preparing the way for Jesus to come. And if you could summarize John the Baptist's message in one word, his message was repent. A lot of us don't like the word repent. It sounds like a scary word. We think of like uh, guys with loud voices and sandwich boards over their backs standing at the corner of Young and Dundas yelling out, repent. (laughs) Repentance doesn't need to be a scary word. Repentance asks you to consider a value proposition. What's more valuable to you? The sin in your life or the presence of God with you? What's more valuable to you? And you know, some of us don't repent 
because we don't know how valuable God's glory with us is, God's presence with us is, because frankly, we've never experienced it. We, we've been saved in as much I've can one time confessed my sin, but I've never had a genuine love and affection for God built up in me. Christianity is just a chore. But you know what it's like to have the presence of God amongst us? When God's glory dwells with us, the greedy become generous, the abusive become kind, adulterers become faithful spouses, the selfish become loving, skeptics walk by faith, the anxious have peace of mind, liars speak the truth. And as Jesus said, just when he started his preaching ministry, when the glory of God comes, the poor hear good news. Captives are set free. The blind see, the lame walk, the oppressed are liberated. When the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shines upon us, our sin disintegrates into dust. And the name of Jesus Christ is worshipped and joy overflows in us. And then you've learned what it means to be a true human. Repentance is a value proposition. What do you want in your life, church? What obstacle is keeping God from coming to dwell with you? Are you being an obstacle to God's glory coming to our church? But be comforted. God wants to dwell with us. Do you want to dwell with him? Three attitudes we need to cultivate. First, be prepared and repent. Second, be humble and trust God's word. Be humble. Look with me in verse six. This is the second voice that cries out, the second angelic voice, and then it cries, but Isaiah speaks for that voice on its behalf. And, and when you read this verse, you might notice a tone of skepticism amongst that voice. Let's read it. Verse six, a voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. See, this angelic being, along with Isaiah, they've seen the track record that Israel has with actually sticking out their commitment to repent. It's not a good track record. So many generation after generations of people up and down, up and down. They repent, they go back to their idols. They repent, they go back to their idols. The, the voice is saying, you know, humans, humans are like grass and flowers that fade. Some translations say the beauty. Some translations say loyalty. The idea is a comparison. All humanity are faithless and frail. And if it depended on us, God would never dwell with us. This is who we are. This is you in the best view of who you think you could be. This is the celebrity or the athlete 
that you idolize and look up to. This is um, your plan to save for retirement. This is you getting your top choice of university. This is you finally marrying your soulmate. This, this is you with all of the friends and social acceptance you could hope to gain. This, this is you with your perfect health and, and body image. This is your new senior pastor. There's not a lot I have to offer you because I'm just like you. I'm like a flower that fades, but, but, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. If it were up to us for God to dwell with us, he would never be here. But church, God has promised God has promised. God has promised. He is building us up to be a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He is making us his holy temple. I have nothing that I can offer you that is of some kind of quality that would better invite God to you. Our staff has no clever trend or fad that would uh, be a good program so that God would be with us. Our elders are no wise people that are deserving the presence of God. As long as God allows me, and I hope that it is until Christ returns or Jesus takes me home to be with him, you will see this pulpit occupied by a perishing man speaking to perishing men and women about the imperishable word of God. That is the only thing you can expect of me, church. That is all I have to give you. But how unfortunate and sorrowful it is that so many churches rely and boast in this and completely abandon or water down this. With God's glory with us, we have everything. But without God's glory, we have nothing. But praise the Lord that it doesn't depend on us. I hope you want God's glory in your family. Moms, God's glory in your home doesn't depend on you being super mom and having the schedule perfectly in order. Dads, God's glory in your family doesn't depend on you leading the perfect family devotions and you being a loving husband. It's God's promise that he will be with you. You need to be humble. That's it. Humility isn't, a humble man doesn't compensate for their frailty and faithful, faithlessness. A humble man admits their frailty and faithlessness and trusts that God's word is true and depends on God's word and leans on God's word. I'm so thankful that for God to dwell with us is did not depend on me as it did not depend on Paul as it does not depend on you, but it depends on the promise that he will be with us. But we will, will we be humble? Because God's looking at churches. He's looking down every street in Markham. He's looking down every street in York Region. He's looking for churches. He's looking where Christians gather together and say, who's God going to dwell? Where am I going to dwell? Who's, where am I, I going to go to church? That's where I want to go to. I want to go to the church that God attends. Where's he going to go? Isaiah 66 verse 2 tells us. God says, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. More and more, more and more, this is being disregarded and mocked at. We are an archaic, ancient 
discriminatory, irrelevant, intolerant people uh, because we believe this. But this is the promise of God with us. God with us, we have everything. God without us, we have nothing. Oh, pray for me that I would be humble. Pray for me that I would see myself as only an unworthy servant. Pray for me that I would know that the only person who deserves attention is Jesus Christ. And pray for your own soul too. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Be prepared and repent. Be humble and trust God's word. And here's this third final attitude we need to cultivate. Be watchful. Be watchful and look for Christ's coming. Look at verse nine with me. See, first there was an angelic voice. Then there was the prophet's voice. The third voice that speaks out comfort is the people themselves. They've heard the promise that God will be with us. They've heard the affirmation that it's based on God's promise, not on their own effort. And then they have courage. They have courage that it's going to happen, that it's going to come, and they want to tell other people about it as well. They are watchful. And you can see their watchfulness in the times that we see the word behold. Behold is look, see, watch. Look how many times we hear the word behold in verse 9 to 11. Let's read it. It says, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. See, they were looking, they heard the promise, they heard the affirmation, and they were watchfully expectant. Behold, three times it said they were looking, and what were they looking for? They were looking for God to come back as king and as shepherd. As king, they knew God would come back with might and with a ruling arm. See, a foreign king from Babylon was going to come and oppress them. But the true king would come back with the spoils of war in his hand, a reward, his recompense, signifying that he's defeated the wicked kings that oppressed them, and now he's coming back ready to rule in righteousness and in justice and share with them in the reward of their conquering victory. He would not only come back as king, but he would come back as shepherd. As shepherd, God does not wield his authority to oppress or to subjugate, but to care for the weak and the vulnerable. This is who Yahweh is. The bad news of exile followed the comforting news of God's return, and it motivated them to anticipate it because they were prepared and because they were humble. And this passage of God returning as king and as shepherd foresees the second coming of Jesus Christ to establish his eternal kingdom. Do you live your life watchful for the return of Jesus Christ?
This past October, my wife and I had to move to a new basement apartment and uh, happened pretty quickly. And for a couple weeks, we were just really living out of boxes. It wasn't until like last week where I actually kind of looked around and it was just like, wow, I think we're finally settled in. I feel like it's finally home. We weren't living out of boxes anymore. It was comfortable. It was familiar. It's a new year, it's 2019. What do you hope to accomplish this new year? What are your dreams? What are your expectations? What are your hopes? What did you not accomplish in 2018 that you do hope you'll accomplish in 2019? Are you looking forward to this year? Are you living your life trying to build your own familiar, comfy home? Thinking that all of your hopes and all of your dreams are accomplished in the way you live your life in this life? Or, or are you willing to live your life out of boxes, so to speak, knowing that I'm not trying to get comfortable, I'm not trying to get familiar here, because I know that Jesus is preparing for me a home in my Father's house. Are you watchful for the return of Jesus Christ? Or would you secretly be upset if Jesus Christ came today? But I haven't found my soulmate yet. But I haven't climbed the career ladder yet. I haven't owned my first home yet. I haven't gone to my dream vacation yet. Jesus, can we get a rain check? Church, all of our hopes and all of our dreams will not be answered in the life that we live now. The people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 were affirmed in their faith because they weren't living like this was their home. They were living, willing to live as strangers in a foreign land, looking to a home land that God would build for them. Our hope is not in the way we live our life now. And what we can achieve in this life now, all of our hopes and all of our dreams and all of our great expectations will be fulfilled in the answer to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you watchful for the return of Jesus Christ? God will come. Christ came once as a child. He will come again as a king. And now we can have a taste of that kingdom of God with us. Are you watchful? You know, if you're going to live like that, it might ask you to live differently. It will ask you to live differently because people are going to follow a certain code of living and you're not going to follow that way. And they're going to look at you and say, why don't you follow the same code or have the same morals that we have? And you'll know it's because you have a king who they don't know about and you're following his code and his authority. And they'll look and say, we're all following this path of living and lifestyle, but you're following a different one. Why are you following that path? And you'll know it's because you have a shepherd who they don't acknowledge but he's leading you down of paths of righteousness for your namesake, 
for his namesake into green pastures and then one day we will be with him forever. Are you willing to live like that? To live your life out of boxes. Be watchful. God is coming to set up his kingdom and we can enjoy a foretaste of it now as we live our life for him. So church, Isaiah 40 calls out with three distinct voices. Are you listening to the voices of comfort? Are you listening? There's a difference between listening and listening, right? You probably know it if you're married. You probably know it like I do if you're married. Your wife will tell you something important and they go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, were you listening? What was you, what and what? I'm guilty of that. If we hear the voice of comfort, we must heed the voice of comfort. Are you heeding God's voice? Our comfort is the promise of God with us. So, so be prepared and repent. Remove any obstacle that would be in your way that God would come to us. So be humble and trust God's word because it doesn't depend on us, but his promise. So be watchful and live your life as if Christ is coming back because he is. And only what's done for Christ will last. Church, the most important question we need to ask yesterday, today, and forever is, is God truly amongst us? Our comfort is the promise of God's glory, of God with us. Would you stand with me as we pray? Not by strength, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Oh God, we will only be built up if we are built up on the foundation of Christ with those precious jewels and stones like gold, like diamonds. But Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for building our lives, for building our walk with Christ with those perishable things, with wood and with hay and with stubble. Lord, your word says in 1 Corinthians 3 that there will be a day when you will come back and everything that we've built, a match will be thrown on it and it will be consumed and the wood, the hay, and the stubble will all be burnt up. But oh, if, 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 we've, if we've built with gold, with precious stones, it will remain, it will remain, it will remain, and we'll know that we'll have lived a life worth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, worthy of Christ. Oh Lord, let us be built up with those things that are worthy. Let us be built up with, with your word. Let us be built up with humility. Let us be built up keeping a bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Oh Lord God, let us be a holy temple where you desire to dwell, a holy temple. You want, you are our God. You love us. Let us not look at our relationship with you. Let us not look at our church as some chore or some duty where I need to put in my two cents and have done my piece. But Lord, let us see that you want our love. You want our love for you, Lord God. 
Oh, would you dwell amongst us? Oh, would you shine your face amongst us, Lord God? Oh, Father, would it be seen that Christ is Lord and all other men are but flesh, flowers that fade, grass that withers. Oh, come to us, Lord God, and would we remove any obstacle that is in your way? And would you dwell with us and would we be comforted? Would lives be changed? Would grace abound? Would joy overflow? And would the name of Jesus Christ be worshipped? And where the name of Christ is a byword and is used as blasphemy and a cuss word, would we revere the name of Jesus and exalt the name of Jesus and find joy in Jesus, the Son of God? Oh, Father, you are faithful. We are faithless you are faithful. We look to you, our faithful God, in Jesus' name. Amen.